Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I can't recall the day when I first discovered who Danny Pellegrino was, but I am pretty sure that it's because he got me laughing that I then began my love affair of all things Danny Pellegrino and the light that he sheds in the world and his incredible, hilarious pop culture quips that I just can't get enough of. I cannot be more thrilled about today's podcast episode. If you haven't guessed who it is yet, uh, it's Danny Pellegrino, New York Times bestselling author, Danny Pellegrino, you know, host and producer of everything iconic podcast, Danny Pellegrino, and just overall pop culture enthusiast, Danny Pellegrino. I truly am his number one fan. If you do not follow him on social media, what are you doing? Get your, get your phones out right now. Pause this and go follow Danny Pellegrino on Instagram. Uh, absolutely subscribe to his podcast. Even if you do not watch the Real Housewives franchises or anything on Bravo. Danny has incredible guests on his podcast and he's a wonderful interviewer. If you do partake in the Real Housewives franchises, then get on the bandwagon because Danny does the best recaps. I sometimes think that I watch 
some of these shows just so I can listen to Danny's podcast recapping about them. It makes me feel like I'm rewatching the show all over again. And that's the stuff. It's these tiny little delicious escapes from just the day-to-day goings-on in your world that I think are important to keep up. And that's why I love listening to podcasts. That's why I love reality TV. That's why I love, you know, taking BuzzFeed quizzes. It just gets me out of my day-to-day humdrum moments and makes me have just a little bit of fun. And that is what I think of when I think of Danny Pellegrino. I think of, ooh, this is going to be funny or whatever he's talking about is going to be fun and it's going to make me nostalgic and it's just going to be that little bit of yummy that I need and sometimes in long days of yuck. Guys, get ready for a wonderful conversation. I'm so thrilled to be talking with Danny Pellegrino. And Candace, I'm upset because I thought, so we bought a house and I thought I was going to live close to you. And then I find out you moved to Nashville. (laughs) I know. I was like, I'm out. (laughs) The pandemic. I was like, I'm done. (laughs) Um, Which I've been loving, but also, you know, now a few years and I'm just like, huh, that was, it was, you know, at the time it felt like a very thought, you know, full thought decision to like just pick up and move. And then now I'm like, oh, that was really quick. That was (laughs) maybe a little less. That's probably best because otherwise you would overanalyze probably (laughs) and maybe you would change your mind or something. It's I I think those rash decisions are usually the best ones. It kind of worked out. I mean, even this morning, um, just driving, you know, around my daughter's school, it's like I, you know, passed by wild turkeys and cows and horses, and it's so beautiful, and also yeah. like still a city, and I, and I just operate a little bit better. I mean, I also lived in Atlanta for so long when we were filming there, so I feel like I got so acclimated to a slower lifestyle and kind of a more compartmentalized city that's easier to drive around. Yeah. Um, but I've been loving it. But other than yeah. But it's still, it's been a big adjustment. But so many things since we last spoke, which was a few years ago. Because the last time we spoke, um, I think the cocktail book was just about to come out or had come out that you did with Tom and Ariana. And you wanted to write your own book. Like that was definitely one of your main goals. And then here we are. No, I'm I'm working on the next book. I'm super excited uh, that hopefully it'll be out by the end of this year. That's amazing. Wait, so... Were you, I'm trying to think of the timeline of this. Were you writing this, any of this during 2020 or no, it was before pre-2020? Yeah, I started writing that. I mean, to be honest, I was always kind of, I always journaled and I always kind of had this envision uh, this book and I wanted to do sort of my version of a David Sedaris book. So I was always kind of writing. And then uh, after the cocktail book came out, that was when I seriously tried to shop it to publishers and and get somebody on board. And, and that was a whole struggle in and of itself and uh, trying to, get someone to believe in it. And so then throughout that whole process, I was just writing and then some of it I used, some of it I didn't use. But um, I, I'd say for the past couple of, or a handful of years, I was writing it and and hoping that I would be able to, to publish it. But I'd say seriously, um, I guess uh, 2020 was when I was really buckled down finishing it. Yeah. If, is that now looking back, do you feel like that's a theme within your life? Like other people saying, ah, oh, no, I don't know if I see it. And you're like, no, 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 I see it. And it, it it's here and it's good. And I just need someone else to, to, to lock in with me and understand it. Cause there are people out there that do and will. 
Yeah, it's interesting. We, we've been talking about culturally this Nepo baby thing. And I, I have been thinking about this concept a lot. And I think really what it comes down to is like the gatekeeping in the industry is that, you know, it's so hard to even just get those meetings oftentimes. And so I, you know, sometimes you hear someone in an interview saying, well, um, I, yeah, I, because of my famous parent, I was able to get that meeting, but that's all I got. Then I had to prove myself. And, and I think like those meetings are the hardest part to get oftentimes to just have someone be able to look at you or look at your materials or something like that in the entertainment industry and stuff. So yeah, I, that was really a struggle for me, especially when I was going out with this book. I really believed in it. And I thought I had a great proof of concept because a lot of the stories were things that I shared on my show and I was touring pre-pandemic. And so I was able to uh, see at my live shows, people were coming up to me and talking about these stories that I told on my show about my family or a bad date I had. And and so that really made me believe that there was a, a market or people in the audience that wanted to hear these stories and that I would be able to expand upon in a book. And then when I went out to publishers, I think because my show is maybe my podcast is maybe known for housewives or bravo content which i love talking about on my show a lot of the publishers were like you should do a housewives book or a, a bravo book or something like that and i love reading those kinds of books but i had wanted to do creatively this and i i thought there was a market for it and it was hard to convince people of that and oh, every major publisher turned me down and i remember actually going kind of full circle to bravo i had had Andy Cohen on my show. I was interviewing him the day that I got, um, my book agent had sent me a whole email that was like all of the responses from publishers turning the book down. And it was their reasoning. So they said, we love the sample writing or we love the concept or, uh, but we just don't know if there's a market for this. We don't know if, um, the audience would prefer a Bravo ebook or whatever. So I was interviewing Andy Cohen that day and I was so bummed out because here I got this email of like, you know, 20 passes and uh, all in one swoop. And he had told me I, I during the interview or at the end of the interview, he had said, well, it only takes one yes. You know, you just have to remember it only takes one yes. So then that helped me refocus and kind of gave me that push I needed to keep going with it. I'm so glad that I did because that day I remember I was so ready to give up on the project and I thought maybe I'll just wait a little while and come back to it in a couple of years. But it gave me the push I needed. And then I ended up finding a wonderful Midwest publisher source books. And and then uh, they really believed in the project. And the book came out, debuted at number five on New York Times. And um, there was a, turns out there was an audience for it. And so now I'm finishing my next book. And so it it really helped reiterate in my own mind that I was right on some level. And maybe that sounds gross to say, but it's <laughs> No, like, not at all. Yeah. Not at all. That is that is the appropriate response. And you were right. And especially in not trying to kind of cater to only making it about Bravo or the Housewives, because the truth of the matter is, is you have a cult following because of your voice and because of you. Of course, recapping of the Housewives is a very fun thing to listen to, but it does it's not the content, it's the quality of the it's the it's the person who's actually it's the delivery and how it's all wrapped up and that is um and your voice is so you know it's you reading this book just is gives me the same feeling that I have when I listen to your podcast which obviously I'm a huge fangirl of so um you did such a fantastic job and I love to hear that because that is especially now I think 
obviously everyone says social media, you know, you see and you compare and you see all these other people achieving their goals and their dreams. And it's hard when you're working towards yours to remember that, you know, they had to do the grunt work at a certain point. But it is really hard to remember that it does only take one yes. And no one's really showcasing all the times they were told no. And that's the the really tough part, because even you had a chapter of that within your life before, you know, when you got to L.A., because you moved to L.A. initially for performing and th- that was, you know, you you studied improv and, and acting in Chicago, which is, you know, very high bar as far as, um, you know, theater and especially comedy goes. And so it's not like you just had this easy go at it the second you moved to L.A. Yeah. And I, I, I'll tell a story, too. I haven't shared this before, but uh, I, so I had ghostwritten a couple books, one of them being the cocktail book with two of the cast members from Vanderpump Rules. And so I, I, throughout that process, I had gotten a lit agent. And so after the cocktail book came out, it, the sales were really, really good for the cocktail book. Like I thought for sure coming out of that, I, I thought, okay, at least I have a shot at publishing my collection of stories. I, I thought, uh, that was the goal. And we we had, I had joined Ariana and Tom for some of the book events. We did like a signing at the Grove where tons of people came out. And I, I really felt like, I, I feel like this is gross to say, but I felt like I was an asset to the project, you know? And I thought the agent would have seen that I was an asset because uh, I had also brought the book project to him. And long story short, I had then asked him to send out my book project. And he didn't even believe in it, even though he was my agent at the time. And so the one person that's really supposed to be in your corner, he wasn't even in my corner for it. And so I ended up having to find another agent. So it's like, there's all these obstacles that you have to, especially if you want to creatively put something out there, there's just so many obstacles and there's so many different ways to do it. I know people do a lot of self-publishing and and that's a great route for people. Um, but it is hard because you can believe in something so much, but to try to get other people on board can be a challenging process, even the people that are supposed to be in your corner. Well, and this is where I'm going to feel gross saying this because it just seems like such an eye roll thing to say, but it starts with being in your own corner and believing (laughs) yourself. But it's so fucking true. And it's funny, I was talking with a friend of mine today who's worked as an actor forever like forever and ever and ever. And just having, he was having a tough time. And I'm just like, dude, you know, like this, it ebbs and flows and you've got to keep your sanity. And if anything, like turn on any award show right now um, for, you know, film and television. And everyone is saying the same thing generally, which is just, I thought my career was over. And then here I am 20 years later and just never thought that this would happen again. And, you know, it's, it's really nice. I feel like that is happening more often right now. Have you noticed that as well? There's like this really kind of beautiful chapter, like this renaissance for renaissance a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're seeing in the, it's award season right now. So I feel like Angela Bassett or who is the the guy from Everything Everywhere All at Once, which was such a brilliant movie who worked as a child actor. And then he has said he didn't get any opportunities for so long. The, the one thing that I think is great now is that with social media and stuff, you can you can kind of build your own proof of concept and you can build your own career in a lot of ways. So although there are certain projects there are going to be those gatekeepers for, at, at the very least, you can hold on to the fact that you can re- you can release your art, whether it be in content creation or, or releasing. Um, I have a lot of comedian friends and I think there's ways to release your characters or your 
your written jokes on Twitter or there's so many so many different outlets that you can use to to release your art uh, in some way or like I mentioned self publishing that that gives me some hope and then hopefully those people who are releasing their content if it's successful then they can take it to those bigger companies and say look this was successful what's the next thing you know what are the things that you tried and you're like oh well I tried it and then that this didn't work this didn't pan out gosh well i mean the big thing was uh i was studying a sketch and improv and i was doing stand up comedy and uh, I was at the Groundlings before I started ghostwriting. And uh, the Groundlings program, for people who aren't familiar, it's where a lot of like the SNL people come from. And um, it's here in Los Angeles. It's a school and then it becomes a performance place. And there's a certain point in the program where they essentially decide whether you move on or, or you don't. And so I had spent years at the school and taking classes and really kind of throwing all my eggs in that basket. And before then, I was in Chicago doing uh, Second City and the IO Theater, which is our similar comedic programs. And uh, there was a certain point where they just let you know, like, okay, we're done with you kind of thing. Um, you know, you'll no longer be moving forward. And that was devastating to me. And I, I, I think I mentioned this a little bit in the book, but the um, that was part of what's kind of set me into this. I, I had started going through some mental health issues. So I had lost someone in my family and then that happened. And it was just a slew of things that sunk me into a deep depression. And so then I found myself in this place that I had never been before, where it was like a month of a month period where I was having trouble getting out of bed. It was hard for me to even get in the shower. And I don't want to, I'm not trying to blame it all on the groundling situation, but it was just this whole slew of things that I had this idea in my head of what my life was going to be. And then I came to the realization that wasn't the life that uh, was going to be for me. And so I had to slowly kind of get myself out of that. And so I did all of those things like the journaling, the seeing a professional, the all of those things that they tell you to do when you're in one of those places. And luckily I kind of dug myself out of that hole. Um, and I still deal with anxiety and depression at different times, but that was like, for me, the real uh, hardest point in my life. So I had to adjust of like what I thought my life was going to be. And then I, out of that came ghostwriting, which led to the book writing. And so some of these other opportunities and ultimately led to my podcast, which in a full circle kind of moment, uh, I started then performing and doing live shows for my podcast, which I craft very similarly to when I was doing stand-up comedy and, and sketch comedy and stuff like that. So I had thought I would never perform again. And then in this, the weird way the universe works, it sort of brought me back to live performing again. So I think you do have to kind of adjust what your what the idea of your life is going to be. And also to just embrace what I call like the detours, embrace those moments where life throws you in a different direction because you might find that something great comes out of that. But yeah, I thought, I thought I was going to move to Los Angeles. I was going to be, become an SNL and, you know, do film and TV and stuff like that. And it just didn't work out for me that way. Yeah. That's, that was me and my music career kind of, I moved to LA and I started with the music career and then it just hit, like, it could not have hit a bigger dead end. Candace, do you remember when you shifted from that? Like, do you, was, there a, was there a specific moment where you're like, okay, I need to redirect? Or was it a slow build? It was an accumulation of a few moments on my own, like, journey as a solo performance artist. I mean, I, I got a record deal. I got a publishing deal. So I knew, so I leaned in when, I, it, was, when it was inviting me to lean in. But then when I got dropped, when nothing was really sticking, I remember I, I, I 
went back to the studio essentially and started writing with more writers again to just create new material because my my label didn't give me back my record. And um, it, they only released it in Japan. So I was only a temporary pop star in Japan for like one summer. <laughs> that's kind of a cool story, though. I which, mean, is, like, that's which is like yeah, a yeah. good like two truths <laughs> and a lie. Like I keep that in my back pocket. So totally worth it. Um, but I um, I remember I had like a song that I wrote and then played it for my manager. And he was like, this is great. And I was like, this is terrible. Like, this is not good at all. And then um, I got a job as a backup singer for a while and when I got fired from that, I just was like, I think I'm done. Like, I didn't, I also got to be on a very large tour with the fantastic performer who obviously has an amazing career today, Wait, um, Miley that? Cyrus. Oh my God, yeah. And so, like, when you see that, you go, oh, that's what she's meant to do. <laughs> and I don't think that's what I'm meant to do. I don't think that that's where I'm meant to be. And I don't know why I thought film and television or acting was what I was supposed to do, but I just felt really called to it for some reason. And the full circle thing that happened for me on that was I initially got an acting manager because my label wanted me to start acting. And then, you know, a couple of years later, I booked The Vampire Diaries thinking that that's all done. And then my name of bosses, my, the executive producers, writers, you know, showrunners were like, hey, you sing, right? We want, we want to add something in where you sing. So like every couple seasons, they'd just have me as like a singing vampire. And I was just like, well, wouldn't you look at that? <laughs> and then all, I was reminded, like, it all, it all comes back around. Um, but it's important. You know, I think it's, it's, it's important to at least try and realize that something's not right for you or realize, hey, this isn't working. So what else can I do to kind of circumvent um, where I'm supposed to go? You just have to keep moving, I think, is the hard part. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally, for most people, are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. 
In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Candace, wait, I wrote down notes because now I have questions for you. Um, <laughs> oh okay, so who did you do backup for? I need to know that, first of all. Miley Cyrus. Okay, and I've only heard the best things about Miley, so uh, was she really nice? And what was she like? Yeah, I'm nodding yes, yes. She, I mean, she was yeah. also 14. Um, I think she turned four, I think she turned 15 on the tour. So this was her Hannah Montana Best of Both Worlds tour. Um, and so sweet, so smart, so talented. Like even at that age, it wasn't like, oh, that's cute. She sings. It was like jaw on the floor. Holy shit. Wow. That, that is a voice of that has many lives. <laughs> like it is just insane. Um, and it was so cool. I was 19 and got to like travel around on a tour bus in like one of the and biggest tours in over a decade. And <laughs> just like. Must have been so wild. And it was yeah, wild. everyone it was that I know who has worked with Miley in some capacity always just says like the most amazing things about how sweet she is and, and that kind of thing. Uh, what's your favorite Miley Cyrus song? I mean, Party in the USA. And I wasn't on that tour, but it's like, that's one that I, every, if it comes on, it just, I love it. Did you I do backup it. for any of the recorded stuff or was it live backup? No, it was, I mean, you would record vocals to throw into it, but you would still also sing live. But no, I was never on any of the actual recordings. And then would you ever do, would you do like a full-blown musical movie? Um, I don't, I would do it in a heartbeat. I don't think that I would get, I don't know. At this point, like music is just a totally different world. And every time I have a music audition, I panic and get hives. And it's just like, I still, I, and that is what I can process with my therapist. Like that's what I can figure out there. It's crazy. I tried to like go back to, um, mu- like singing lessons a couple of years ago and it was right before the pandemic, which put them to a big halt halt. Um, but I had like full on, like, have you ever seen the Backstreet Boys documentary? Yeah. Wait, um, I've, you would I remember if you have. Yeah. It is the no, best. Maybe I have. First, okay, it is okay, the best documentary. You have to watch it. We all need a Kevin in our lives. It is just perfect. I think. Favorite. Yeah. Oh my god, you're gonna love him even more after this. Okay. It is truly the best musical documentary of our time, and um, but there is a storyline where one of the members has trouble with his vocals and it is an emotional reaction of like what can happen to your voice. And I feel like that happened. That happened to me when I tried to go back to vocal lessons after all those years. Oh, interesting. Very well, interesting. I, you know, I'm very fascinated by the voice and how it's used as a muscle. And you, you know this because you've listened to my show, but Mariah Carey is like my all-time favorite. And yes. I often see people uh, talking about her on social media, whether it be on TikTok or something. Sometimes people will say, oh, she lost her voice or her voice isn't as good. And I think people forget kind of what she went through and uh, particularly like the late 90s and with her first husband, uh, she was in a very uh, difficult relationship, let's say very abusive and uh, troubling relationship. And I don't know if people realize what trauma can do to the vocal cords too. I'm I'm not saying what you went through is um, traumatic related or trauma related, but uh, I think the voice is affected by all sorts of different things that maybe we still don't even quite understand. And so I always get so defensive. I'm like, well, you know, she's been through a lot. Of course, her voice might not be as what it was when she was young, not to mention the aging of vocal cords as well. It's a muscle. It is a muscle. It ages, you know, and we don't know what, you know, you never know the, the, it absolutely, the muscle and the voice is directed 
towards like life experience, potentially trauma. Apparently making an Elvis movie can change your voice forever. No. Oh you my know. God, isn't that wild, <laughs> Candace? Did you ever work with Austin Butler? No, I never did. Okay. I never did any of the, like the Disney stuff. Uh, I but I feel like it was all sort stuff. of in the same place. Like the CW, that whole, there was well, a whole era. The funny part is I was in Atlanta. So yeah. like, I don't yeah. have friends. I, I mean, I have like a handful of friends that are that are actors or actresses or in the business, but not really. Like I still, like my nightmare is going to a party or an event where everyone knows each other because they all like know each other. And I'm just sitting in the corner, like as if I'm back in middle school being like, oh God, is I want someone to talk to me, but I don't want anyone to talk to me at the same time. <laughs> Oh my God, I love that. Um, Candace, wait, I'm turning this around. You you cannot turn this interview on me. No, please. Um, That's what the people want. What's going on? (laughs) Ladies, am I right? (laughs) Ladies, am I right? What's going on with the Vampire Diaries IP? There must be some sort of uh, thing happening with it, right? What do you mean? Like a a reboot or a Uh, thing? I mean, something. Nowadays, there's all these reboots or offshoots or, or, I mean, it's an IP. It's a very successful IP. So I would imagine there's. They got to have some plan, maybe not now, but in the future, they'll probably have something. Have you heard anything? No, I would assume in the future, if this is how everything continues to go, where like people are just keeping something around. But also, um, it just ended last year because we had two spinoffs. We had uh, the originals and we had legacies. And so the final episode of like the vampire TVD world like uh, trilogy ended last year. So we're like just now kind of off the air. Like Mystic Falls is for the first time. I know. I think eventually, but I don't know. I don't know what it'll look like. I don't know what it will be. Um, But I also, um, I want to talk more about your book because you also have like such a beautiful little love letter to uh, bookstores in general. And I also, I too am a very big fan of just like walking through a bookstore and just the endless possibilities that are there. And I loved your specific mention of that because it was such a beautiful, you know, introduction to who you were to when you were growing up in Ohio and also, you know, not fully aware of like, you know, what it meant to be a gay man in the world and that you found this wonderful haven at the bookstore in this How world. How dare you, you out me, Candace? <laughs> you just out me to your listeners like that? So willy nilly like that? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I, I grew up in Ohio and yeah, you're totally right. Like I, there, there was no access to people. I, I think if, if we all look back to like the late nineties and I, I was a nineties kid, so there just wasn't a whole lot of gay representation. Of course we had Will and Grace coming in the late nineties and there were a few pockets here and there. There was a movie called the birdcage. I remember seeing at a young age and, uh, and it was, or my best friend's wedding and seeing Julia's uh, best friend, George. It was like, there there was a little bit, but there wasn't a whole ton of that. And so back then, that sounds like an old man, but back then you would have to go to the bookstore. And I remember sneaking like gay magazines, uh, not only to look at the boys, because that was part of it too, but also to just read about in something like The Advocate or some of those uh, smaller gay magazines back then, you could read stories about gay people and stuff. And so that was my first... Uh, first sort of introduction to it. And yeah, I love bookstores and You've Got Mail is my all-time favorite movie. And so I always romanticize bookstores and Starbucks and it just seemed like a different world growing up in suburban Ohio. We didn't have a Starbucks in town. So I thought like, oh my God, like, 
people, grownups, adults, they can live in a city and go to Starbucks and like meet their friends for coffee. That was all just crazy to me. And so uh, I remember my my hometown got a Borders bookstore when I was uh, in uh, probably middle school or, or ninth grade. And I dreamed about working there. I just wanted to work there like Kathleen Kelly in uh, You've Got Mail or, or Joe Fox um, in You've Got Mail. And so when I was uh, in college, finally, I was able to get a, a job there over the winter breaks from college. So I would work there over the holidays. And it was like the best job in the world to me, even though it was so crowded and it was just retail, but just walking into a bookstore and being surrounded by these uh, by these books and, and being able to find books too at the time. Uh, there was a book called Swish that was written by a gay man. And I, I stumbled upon it at a very young age. And it was an essay collection from a gay man. And I, it, it was mind blowing to me because I was able to read it and see like, oh, this isn't a, this is sort of a blueprint that didn't exist to me up until that point. And so, yeah, I've always romanticized books and bookstores and uh, it just seemed like a different world than what I knew. I feel like that's what like television and movies from were for me in a way of just I I still that's why I think I'm also like such a big fan of you is the way that you romanticize popular culture is just that was my escape in a way that was where I socially felt safe was just imagining myself within you know pop culture um you know I I was just kind of writing notes and then I I realized it just popped in my head I feel and I wrote down I feel like the way Nancy Myers can take the most predictable face value, meet cute moment or relationship quarrel and turn it into seeing it in a new way where you appreciate it and want to re-examine why it feels so familiar and why you love it or hate it. It's what you do for pop culture. I feel like you are the Nancy Myers of popular culture. Oh my it's God, just my personal opinion. I'm going to put that on the on the as a pull quote for the, my next book. It'll just <laughs> Please <laughs> do. Oh. Um, but it is so funny. I actually was talking about like it is interesting to be a 90s kid because we are on the cusp. You know, we understand the Internet. Um, you know, we are now finally understanding what the generation above us went through when they're like the 80s were the best. And we're like, no, they weren't like the 90s were where it was at. Have you been into an uh, Urban Outfitters <laughs> lately? It's like all the 2000s now. It's so weird. It makes me me nauseous. It makes me nauseous because I still, I'm, I feel like it's, you know, our our entire generation just has all those dumb memes. They're like, you know, how was that 20 years ago? But it's so true. It is so true. I, they're selling Playboy phone cases. Do you remember back then when it was like everyone was wearing like, or I remember, my girlfriend would always put the Playboy bunny tattoo and then go tanning. And then get, and yep, then, I had that. I had that. Yes, yeah. I did. <laughs> and I remember my brother, I lived with my brother for a little while. We had like Playboy wine or uh, Playboy shot glasses with the mm-hmm. logo on it. It was like Playboy, that was all a thing. And now at Urban Outfitters, I saw this Playboy merch they're selling again, which I was just like, oh man, we're back in the 2000s. But you mentioned something earlier. You said safe. And I, I always feel like that's, the nostalgia is just safe for me. And I, I've, overanalyzed it a lot lately because uh, we were talking about earlier, I don't know if we were recording or not, but this month I kind of was going through a tough time. I had some health issues. Uh, uh, Someone very close to me had some health issues. The roof, uh, we have to replace a roof. It's just been like a kind of hellish first couple of weeks. And I found myself the one weekend when I was going through all of the stress, I I was watching some old stuff on Disney+. Plus. I was watching uh, this movie called Camp Nowhere and just these things that I really liked from my childhood. And I noticed I go back to those whenever I'm like, in that kind of stressful spot. And I realized it's just because I felt the safest at that time in my life. And uh, even though I don't think I had a, a perfect childhood by any means, I 
felt very safe in my childhood. I felt like my parents were there to protect me and uh, not to um, not to overprotect me or not to to baby me, but I felt safe at that time. And so I tend to go back to those things I liked um, throughout my childhood. And, and so that's what I, I love nostalgia for that. It kind of transports me. And, and also it's something I should talk to my therapist about, like, why do I <laughs> always need to go back to that? But that's, that's what I do for the, all the nineties cultures when I'm stressed or the world feels crazy early in the pandemic. I noticed that too. I was like exclusively watching eighties and nineties movies. And it, it was just the thing that I used to cope. Yeah. I got into the housewives during the pandemic, but then also was like rewatching sex, like rewatching Broad City, Sex in the City, like all the like just like comfort half hour things that would make me laugh, but also feel good and like had something fun to say. Um, the family thing that I'm like the old from my childhood show that I've been watching lately is Family Double Dare. Oh, my and, God. Where are you watching? Um, I bought it. <laughs> I paid money for it. I love and you best couple bucks that I've ever spent in my entire life because holy crap like I it is just brings you right back to wanting to be a kid to get slimed so bad and to like reach your hand up the nostril it was for anyone that doesn't know what this is it was a show on Nickelodeon it was a game show where two families would compete and they'd have to perform in all these like messy like stunty weird dumb games where you're like picking fake boogers out of a nose or like throwing balloons of paint at your parents and then you get to compete for all these prizes at the end if you're the winning team and it was always for like a car or something or a big trip, um, kind of like the Price is Right style. But oh my gosh, it's so good. And also you don't realize like, you know, not everything ages well, you know, and you look back and you're like, huh, that's that's interesting. That's a terrible thing that would never get said these days. Um, This show, like no disrespect to Mark Summers, who was the host of this, but oh my goodness, the things that he talks about. He goes into a whole monologue about how someone was watching him nude through his hotel window. <laughs> and that's how he starts off the show. I'm not kidding. I have got to watch this. Okay, where do I download? Is this on Apple or something? I'm, I think I it's on find. Amazon. Okay, like, I'm gonna, you get it I'm on Amazon. It. And then him and there's like the voice announcer have this like very interesting interaction at all times. But oh it's really fun to go back and... um and kind of just see what you were consumed with as a child through adult eyes um, in a fun way and not just in therapy. <laughs> well, and I, totally. And I think creatives too, creatively, it's fun to look back on that because I think you can look at it like, what did I respond to as a kid? And maybe you could take that into your next project in some way. I think that's also really fun in terms of a nostalgia. Um, and we were so lucky with Nickelodeon. It was so creative. I think kids who watch Nickelodeon were... Um, whether it be genre or the way they they um, the animation styles, there was such a, a diverse amount of animation styles. If you look at something like Ren and Stimpy versus Doug or versus Rugrats or versus a show called Kablam, like some of those 90s shows, there were so many different animation styles. And so creatively, I think our brains were fully open to so many different things. Maybe, do I sound crazy right now? Do no, I sound stoned no, or something? I, no, <laughs> This episode is brought to brought to you by microdosing mushrooms. No, I it promise is. I'm not high, but I, I think Nickelodeon was so creative. And even if you look at the commercials or what they call like the bumpers for Nickelodeon, they were all so crazy and weird and different. And I think it made us more creative. I I agree. I agree. I mean, we're also I think we're very creative as you know, we're millennials. 
you know, that is what we are. <laughs> we just are. Um, but we're a very creative bunch. Look at what we're all doing on ticket on the TikTok and the Instagram. Yeah. In the and by the way, Candace, I don't know on on social media. I've been posting too much about this, but I've I dove back into John and Kate plus eight oh, recently. It's, it's, it's on my list of things to ask you about, oh and that's God, where Candace. I really was gonna. Be, I'm like, are you okay? Because there's two no, things I've not. actually been really concerned about you this week. Um, sure. because one, you have been posting a lot about John and Kate plus eight a lot. Yeah, I know. So where are it's a problem? Like, I don't know. I accidentally stumbled upon it. Like. I had this vague memory and I didn't watch it religiously when it was on, but I did, I was scrolling through the streamers and it said John and Kate plus eight. And I was like, oh gosh, that was, what a weird time that was. And I remembered the one season when they came back from hiatus and all of a sudden they were, uh, they were broken up. And I was like, that seems so weird that that happened on this family reality show. I was like, let me just go back and watch some of it. So I just was going to put on one episode and then I like fell into this wormhole and I just keep watching it. And now it's like my days are leading up to like when I'm going to watch it. And I didn't watch from the big, be- I didn't start at the beginning. I started, I think like season five. So um, it's towards, I, I started towards the end, but yeah, as I'm working throughout the day, I'm just thinking, okay, like it's like um, a drug or something where I'm like, I need it. I need my John and Kate fix. <laughs> Which, And I think they're both monsters and it, but it's fascinating to me to watch it through the lens of now and see how it was also weird. The, the haircut that, people were getting to yeah. look like Kate. It's like, <laughs> what was going on? Like, why, how, how, why? WTF, like what was going on? Yeah. It was crazy. There's a, there's a lot of big moments in pop culture history that lends itself to, and wow. Candace, that's what last, we were... last night I got to the episode where John debuts his earrings to the girls. <laughs> so I don't know if people remember, but he, they were going through this breakup, but they were still filming together, sort of, and they were kind of splitting up the kids. And there's this one scene where, like, the older girls come back from vacation and they're scared because their dad now is not only outfitted head to toe in Ed Hardy, but he also put his earrings back in and is very clearly going through. Um, I don't want to say midlife crisis because that's the other shocking thing. He was 32 years old with oh, eight God. kids getting a divorce. And I'm like, oh my God, he was 32 years old? Like, I, in my head, he was. I don't know, much older than that back then. Yeah, he might as well have been 50 at that point. He might as well have been 50. Like, that's what I thought in my head, which nothing wrong with 50, but that's how old I thought he was. So to hear he was 32 going through this divorce and having eight kids and they're on this reality show and he's head to toe Ed Hardy and now he's putting the earrings back in. It's like crazy. It's crazy. Well, I'm glad though that you're balancing. Like, uh, so, but what's interesting to me is I didn't expect you to be posting so much about John and eight. John and Kate plus eight, because there there's a whole new spread. I don't know if it's Vogue or Elle or one of the magazines with Sir Channing Tatum. And I thought that that's what was going to be all over your feed this week. I don't love those Channing Tatum photos. Have you seen him? I think it's Vanity Fair. I mean, he's gorgeous and he's like probably my number one. I find him the sexiest man alive. Like I love him. But it's something about, I don't know. I, I guess I was maybe spoiled by his last spread where he's showing a little butt cheek. Do you know which ones I'm talking about? I think maybe I just have such a high bar, but I'm very excited for the press tour for the new Magic Mike. I love the Magic Mike movies. I love him. Cannot wait. I'm also very excited for Magic Mike. That That is one of those things where I'm like, I'm usually not someone that's like, ah, you know, like I've always, when I was younger, I was boy crazy. I definitely had like, who did I have on my wall? I had um, Heath Ledger. I had Josh Hartnett. Oh, Josh Hartnett. I think I had Chad Michael Murray. I think I had like I had like Wait, all Candace, the. Did you okay? I have to stop you. Did you ever get to date any of the people that or, no. or like 
Did you ever have a romantic that were on thing my with- wall? Yeah, like or childhood crushes. I never dated anyone that was on my wall. Okay. Okay. <laughs> but did was there a childhood crush that you went out with? There was a childhood crush that yes, I ended up um having a very short relationship with. Can yes. you tell me who? Not on the microphone. Okay, off air you'll <laughs> But yes, no, I there that is a weird part of like being someone who is also obsessed with pop culture when they're very young. And even now, like that's the thing. I do not like it's very weird. It's just weird. I don't know how the hell I ended up in this industry because I'm also like the biggest fangirl. Like for like for me, like Dumois, I love. Like I like celebrity gossip is my meditation. That is how I relax. It is just what I like to read. You know, that is my New York Times. And I, you know, I just don't feel a part of it. So it was very weird to all of a sudden find myself in Hollywood, like watching, you know, the hills being filmed and all these things going on and being like, ah, this is insane. What was the hills nightclub? They were uh, Ledoux. Ledoux. It was like, oh, Ledoux was everything. Um, Wait, who was the hottest guy you've ever seen in person? (laughs) Famous wise. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the hottest guy I've ever seen in person. Like who uh, did famous you see? Wise. Yeah, who did you see? Him? Just like holy shit! Like that's the fact that they're human is mind blowing. I don't know. I mean, again, I wasn't like around a lot of people. What's funny is like the one, like one person who I would think I would be like jaw on the floor, like oh my gosh, because he's an insanely beautiful man. You know, just I think everyone can, this is just something we have all as a society decided. It's not even up for debate is um, Jason Momoa. So gorgeous. So So gorgeous. gorgeous. So he's, he's, uh, he knows Ian Summerholder who worked on Vampire Diaries and he, he and I just remember being like, oh, yeah, and that crazy, my buddy Jason. Remember from when we all hung out that night and then he's on Ga- the Game of Thrones show? And I was like, what? I was in his presence and I did not recognize that? But, which means usually, I, which means I also have very good blinders when I'm in a relationship. Like when I'm in a relationship, yeah. I really don't see other people like even not like me. at all. Like, <laughs> <laughs> couldn't could be me. My boyfriend's in the other room here, and if I if I were to see Jason Momoa, it'd all be off. I always <laughs> I, I often tell my boyfriend Matt, I'm like, well, if someone if someone like Jason Momoa wanted to sleep with him or me, it, I would be okay with if I would be okay if he did it. Like if my boyfriend did it, I would be like, go right ahead because I wouldn't want you to pass up that opportunity. <laughs> that is a once in a lifetime yeah. chance. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 
But by the way, Ian Summerholder, for me as a young person, I remember seeing him in Rules of Attraction. Remember? He's like, oh, jump- yeah. did you ever see that? that no, so me- that's the thing. I missed that one. Thank goodness. Because I probably also would have been like, ah, I can't yeah. look at you in the face because I don't know how to speak to people that I find beautiful. <laughs> I mean, he in that movie and he's got like a little thing with James Vanderbeek, who I also love. Like that was a formative movie to me. But he, I remember just seeing his face and being like, oh my God his face is like crazy to me. Like, he, does he have blue eyes? He has blue eyes, right? I think. Yes. So, yeah. Very, very like blue green. They're like perfectly ocean colored eyes. Yes. And he is the sweetest, such a sweet guy. Yes. And when I saw that movie, I was, yeah, I guess it was like 98, 99 or something. And I didn't realize that people could be acting. I was like, oh, he's gay in the movie. So he's gay in real life. So it was like, I didn't understand that there was a note. There was a disconnect. So, I thought he was like one of the most gorgeous people ever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that was something like even any family that would come visit me on set would be like, did you know how beautiful all these men are? And I'm like, we all we all work amongst them. Yes, this is right. this is this is the CW. I don't know what I'm doing here, but here we are. And come come, grandma and feast your eyes. <laughs> Enjoy yourself. Um, but that one for me was that I definitely got tongue tied over which nothing, nothing, not in even a way where like something happened, but like a big moment for me that was like totally like, holy shit, I can't believe this is happening was I was a big Dawson's Creek girl. Like Dawson's Creek, Pacey was my number one. So that was a big one ending up like, like in the presence of, you know, Joshua Jackson, who also could not be kinder and, you know, he's got a little something extra too. Like there's something about his personality or something. And I don't know, maybe it's tied to our memories of the Pacey character, but there was something there. Yeah. I know. I feel, I feel like whoever wrote the, like the wall scene where it's like, ask me to stay. I'm like, thank you for ruining like every expectation (laughs) I would have. I remember (laughs) uh, Katie Holmes was from Ohio, far away from where I lived in Ohio. I think she's from like Toledo or something. But when I was a young kid, I was like, oh my God, she is on TV, like dating. These two guys are fighting over her. And so I just felt like a spiritual connection to that show and to her, even though that sounds crazy. (laughs) (laughs) But that makes sense to me. That absolutely makes sense to me. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, 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 I get it. No, I definitely, that's how, just, that's how I felt to every TV show. Um, to all of them. Wait, I, why is Melissa your nemesis? Is this a real thing? Okay, so I was texting you because you, I think, are friends or friendly with my arch nemesis, Melissa Joan Hart. <laughs> and I call her my arch nemesis. And it's really just a joke that I've taken too far, much like every joke that I take too far. But there was a, a meme. I used to make a lot of memes on my Instagram account. And I had made one with Melissa Joan Hart. It, she did a movie with Mario Lopez where she handcuffs him and takes him home for Christmas. You know, yes. Holiday and Handcuffs. One of my all-time yeah. favorites. Flawless film. Anyway, there's a poster where she's dragging Mario Lopez uh, to her Christmas home or something. And I made a meme, a very silly meme, said something like, me trying to get my boyfriend to celebrate Christmas early or something stupid like that. I tagged her. She liked it. She commented. She's like, ha ha, whatever. And then she screenshotted it and posted it on her page. And she posted it with a caption. I don't know who did this, but it's so funny. And I was like, you just commented on my page. <laughs> it's like, you got it from my page. Not only that, back then when you would make memes and stuff like that, or at least I was, I, I had it like watermarked with my handle, which is so cringe now, but it was watermarked. So it literally like said my oh, name yeah, remember? Why did we do that? Because we, yeah, so know. why did we do that? Because, but I actually, I will say, because it was, 
especially if you're making a lot of content like that, it would be so infuriating when you'd make a meme and then all the accounts would steal it and post it. And you'd be like, they wouldn't credit you or they'd credit the wrong, they'd credit some other account. And you'd be like, well, I fucking made that. (laughs) Anyway, so she, so it became a joke. Like I, I I was like, it was me that did it. It says my name on there and you commented on my page and you got it from my page. Um, And so then I just took that and ran with it. And so I started referring to her as my arch nemesis. But again, that was the only reason there was like no real thing. And she probably has no idea I exist or anything. I then thought it was funny to have an arch nemesis. And so then I started creating a list of my arch nemeses. Um, but I, I grew up watching her and all that stuff. I loved Sabrina the Teenage Witch, but it, it just sort of became a joke. And now people will say, uh, they'll ask me about it. And I, tr- I try not to even respond to people because I think it's funnier if it's just like left to the imagination of like why I hate Melissa Joan Hart. And I started... <laughs> And I started calling her Melissa Joan Fart, which was just like a, so, which is so ridiculous. It's like insane, but I would have referred to her as that. And it made me laugh. And so if she's out there listening, I apologize. And I really have no actual ill will towards her. It just became a joke that I took too far. Uh, she's hilarious and will probably laugh, would, would laugh at this story. Um, and I'm dying is- to get her on my show because... It's become such a long-running, long-standing feud that doesn't actually exist. But I really well, want her to have to come on my show to just address it because I think it'd be so funny. Yes. She came. She came up in an era that was totally different too. It's like she was super famous before there was social media, and so I can only imagine. Do you have an arch nemesis? I do. Well, not. I mean, technically, I don't have like a real one. I have like two people that I would say are like my arch nemesis. Can is you tell me. Um, I won't say their names, <laughs> but there are other actresses that I've just found myself in like really weird positions in with a lot. Um, we would usually always go out for the same roles. We always knew the same people. And even when like I started working, like there was one person who I'd always see at auditions and she had an amazing career. She was working for many, many years before I had ever started working. I, I get a job and so I'm very excited to be there. So I go to to film this job And, you know, and then she's there, too, because she actually got a different part within the job. And she's like, what are you doing here? And I was like, I'm here to I'm here to work. And she's like, oh, today, like, what are you doing here today? And I'm like, I'm working. I'm here working. And then she'd always like butt dial me by accident and then pretend I was someone else and be like, oops, sorry. Just just it was the weirdest Mm -hmm. thing. Mm -hmm. And the other one's very similar. Like we would both be on a plane to, you know, upfronts and she was on a different show and she'd be like, what are you doing here? And I'm like, I'm on, I'm on a TV show. Right. She was just on, doing that to get under your skin. I know. Yeah. I know. I, I, it's just very yeah. strange. So I've always said like that I have a few arch nemesis in the same way that you do. I think it's just fun, but yeah. I kind of, I like having like an arch nemesis. Everyone has one. And I think it's healthy to have some that are famous and that you can see on TV and say, oh, I mean, there's always those people where you see them pop up somewhere and you're like, oh, I don't like that person. I don't even have a reason mm-hmm. why. Like, yeah. <laughs> and I think it's okay to not always have a reason why, because sometimes things are unexplainable. You just have a, an ener- energetic reaction to someone. I agree. Patty I... Stanger is my other arch nemesis. Do you know who she is? Was she the, d- to date the dating coach? Yeah. The millionaire matchmaker. Yeah. Which, and I don't have a personal relationship with her, but she's <laughs> also on my list. <laughs> I just remember watching her show and she was always so weird about gay stuff. It it used to bug me. And then she was so bad about, she was so mean to redheads. It bugged me a lot because I love redheads. And so she she just became, 
Oh, right. Wait, I feel like, yeah, I re- remember seeing you as a redhead Maybe. somewhere. Yeah, I was a redhead for a while. That is a very interesting thing. So like anyone who's bitter redheads. about redheads, I don't. I don't get that. I've never understood that very she weird. would literally tell women to color their oh, yes, hair I'm if they were I'm remembering this. Yes, I'm like, remembering what? this. And women couldn't have short hair. It was like all they so They couldn't have curly insane. hair. She, she said, you can't keep a man if you have curly hair. It's like, what the F is that about? Yeah, no, it was all very sexist and racist. Like, yeah, very. It was, all yes. of it was awful. And then with gay people, shoot, I mean, occasionally they'd have like a gay millionaire person on there. And she'd be like, are you the top or the bottom? Like, that'd be the first question she asked. And she was just so inappropriate. So I'm, I hope she's doing well, but she is my arch nemesis. <laughs> I hope she's healed her, her bias against redheads and people with curly hair and, and the gays. But yeah. That made me just think of, um, did you ever watch the, did you ever read the game? First of all, the Neil, it was Neil Strauss wrote it with, it was like the guy who it basically it was, it, it, the book is even shaped like a Bible, which I cannot roll my eyes far enough in the back of my head um, saying that out loud, but it's a dating book, like a how to like get the girl and, um, and it's the most insane thing, but it was this guy who would go around and forget he would dress like a freaking dumb dumb with like insane clothes and hats. Was he the and, guy, was his name like yes, mystery? Yeah, mystery. Yeah, yeah. That's and it. He, had he a went show by on mystery. VH1, and I that's think. what he had a dating show yeah. to like teach these guys, like use his moves. And I just oh, remember gosh. it being a very sad, sad time at the bars. Cause like guys would come up to you and be like, Hey, you want to see a magic trick? Your teeth look weird. And you're like, what? Right. His what? whole thing was like, it wasn't it called negging. Negging. <laughs> yeah. Oh, what a monster. That whole time. The fact that we all survived that, which by the way, I, I, I I hate both these people we just talked about. And yet I watched every minute of footage I could of them <laughs> I because I watched, I, I watched that show. I don't remember even what it was called. And with <laughs> Patty Stanger and the Millionaire Matchmaker, I watched mm-hmm. every single episode. I watched like spinoffs. She, I remember on Netflix, she released some like concert video where she was, it was like a live event where she was on stage giving people advice. And I watched it. It premiered on Netflix or something. And I, some of it still sticks with me. Like I remember her saying that, you can't be in a relationship with someone if it's over nine years. And so while I do not care for these people, somehow whatever their whatever uh, hypnosis they put on us was working. It worked. It worked. I, I feel like John and Kate plus eight was probably on around that time. <laughs> Remember the Your time when like- are like, he has the worst taste. <laughs> <laughs> this is important. This is history. This is our history of our generation. You know, there was a time and place where we all- stopped what we were doing to read about what was going on with Octomom. That was okay, a chapter Candace, of our here, lives. I, I have to get this off my chest too, because I'm in my John and Kate plus eight rewatch. I'm fascinated and overwhelmed by the fact that they have paparazzi back then <laughs> in Pennsylvania, chasing them at a party city. Like what was going on? Like that would never happen nowadays. I know paparazzi isn't what they used to be. So we don't really... I don't know. Paparazzi doesn't exist like the way they did back in 2008. But the idea that like all of these paparazzi were going back to to chase this family of eight in Pennsylvania, I think is where they were. Was it Pittsburgh? I don't. Yeah, I I think that's where they were. Crazy. Crazy. It was a different like that is especially living in L.A. at that time and just driving down like um, 
Where was Kitson and Newsroom and the Ivy? Robertson. Robertson. Thank you. It was just insanity. I mean, the flashes was insane from these these cameras because that was what was selling. I mean, Us Weekly was the actual Bible of that time and everyone bought every magazine you could and it sold. And, all you know, there was a real market to be had of taking these photographs. I honestly am so happy to see, like, Lindsay Lohan back, you know, mm-hmm. in a Christmas movie, doing her thing because there was just it was just not fair for no, for them no. at that point. No one can keep their sanity. No and one. What was with the obsession with moms? Tan mom, Octomom, Kate mm-hmm. Gosselin. Like what was going on? I'm so happy for Lindsay too, though. I think she seemed so wonderful in that Christmas movie, the Netflix one. Which, by the way, you know how happy I was to see you. I could talk about this for an hour or two about you and Reba. <laughs> I mean, we didn't get to talk about this. I think I texted you. I was like, I need to know everything. <laughs> like, I love Reba McIntyre. And you were in a Christmas movie with her, which is like the dream. The dream. I still can't believe it. It was amazing. It She's she's incredible. She's exa- like my favorite moment was, um, first of all, she talk about just could not be, you know, more of just a quality human being and just talented being able to be in a tiny room with her rehearsing a Christmas song, just singing acapella. You're like, Oh my gosh. Um, and also she's just hilarious. I mean, how many, you forget just like how many seasons of sitcoms she's done in her career, not to mention like her incredible, you know, vocal and music career. Um, but she is so funny. There was something so silly where we had to like walk in the door from outside and it like fake snow all over us. And she had to go, I wanted a nice Christmas, not an ice Christmas. But what with her accent, what comes out is, I wanted a nice Christmas, not an ass Christmas. And she was like, God, it sounds like I'm saying ass Christmas. It just does. <laughs> and I was like, it does. I love that. It does. I love it that. does sound like you're saying ass Christmas. But you know what? I like that. I think we all need an ass Christmas. And uh, she's just hilarious. So it was that time that was mid pandemic. We were all having an ass Christmas. Oh, my God. And I was four months after a baby. I was just like hanging on by a thread. But yes, it was. uh, Will you do more Christmas movies? Because, you know, I love them. I'm obsessed with Christmas movies. I do, too. I would love to do some more Christmas movies. Um, What's funny is I I got my my six year old was livid. But, you know, your your arch nemesis, Melissa Joan Hart. Uh, was Who directs she, them. She directs, she directs them, them beautifully. All yeah. the time, yes. And her and her mom produces them and you, all the ones that she stars in. And um, and that that actually is an amazing duo you should have on your show to talk about, like, the art I'm of dying. the Christmas film. Her mom, Paula, is, is incredible. Um, and so, but Melissa was filming one around the corner and then she was like, oh my gosh, we're doing this, you know, toy store scene and we need kids. And I was like, ah, well... I got my nanny here. I'm about to jump into a meeting, but she can run my two-year-old over there. So my two-year-old made her <sighs> acting debut in Melissa's Christmas movie, playing with Santa at the toy shop this oh year. Was and, it uh, from last? What did it air last year? Or will it air this at year? The, it aired at the end of last year. Yes, okay. and my six-year-old was livid because sure. she was like, "How dare you? Like I'm, I'm the actress livid, in but the I family." Wasn't invited. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm livid you didn't call me up and tell me they needed extras. I could have, I don't know. I don't look like a child, but. We can make it work. We can make it work with some movie magic. Um, Well, you, I could, I know. I'm like, well, I don't want to end this. There is no segue because I'm just going to be sad. I, we didn't even get to talk about Judy, Judy Garland. I love Judy Garland. If anyone hasn't seen the Renee Zellweger movie, you need to go see it immediately. It's so good. She's amazing. Yeah. And I mean, like all the things we talk about, 
we've been talking about here. I have this problem where I become obsessed with something. Like when I like it, then I become obsessed for at least like a couple of weeks. But the Judy movie stuck with me for longer and it just became this obsession. And and much like I'm in my sort of John and Kate plus eight era right now, and I kept pivoting our conversation thus far to John and Kate uh, <laughs> to the detriment of your listeners. But I'm I was like that with Judy for the longest time because I just was like blown away by it. And I love Judy Garland. And so that movie to me, just became this like sick obsession for a while, but it's so good. I need everyone to see it. Well, I hope you appreciate that you are my sick obsession. Um, You, especially through the pandemic, through these last, you know, crazy couple of years, um, I always know that if I put on your podcast, it doesn't matter if you're interviewing someone or you're having like an amazing recap. I mean, part of the reason I think why I, I stay up to date with housewives shows is so I can listen and laugh to your recaps because you take all these incredible detours about, you know, fun and fantastical things that are going on in your life or something like a John and Kate plus eight that you will just talk about and have me like rolling over, like bunched over, just laughing, you know, and it's, it's just such a delightful feeling, uh, especially in times uh, where it feels uh, too much. Uh, You make it all feel a lot lighter. So Thank you. You know, I love you. You need to come back on everything. You've been on a couple of times to recap, but you need to come back at some point. So I I can can really deep dive about Reba. (laughs) We can definitely deep dive about Reba. And how good does the season of Vanderpump look? My God, it looks so good. They are back, baby. They are back. They're back. It looks like it's going to be great. I've heard it's really good. So I'm very optimistic. They They can't afford to have another flop season. They just simply cannot. And so I think they really brought it. I think there's going to be some good stuff. I'm going to be covering it on my show. I, I don't think I covered it the last season fully, but I'm going to be like fully diving in this season. Same. I'm ready. I am ready. Well, thank You'll you come so back much. For Vanderpump. You'll come yes. on the show for Vanderpump Rules recap, whether you like to. it or not. I love to. I still haven't been to any of the places. So I want to go to, I want to go to Tom Tom. I got to go Schwartz and Sandy's. I got to get, just, I'll come back to LA. I was at a house party and it was across the street. It was a holiday party across the street from Schwartz and Sandy's. And I was just like, I could see it. And I haven't been there yet. And I was so disappointed that I didn't make it there. I know the name stresses me out. Katie was right. I'm sorry. Katie was right. No, I was going to say it. It's like warmed on me a little bit, to be honest, but not, I don't know. I think she was right. The decor looks really good from the pictures that I've seen. Agreed. Agreed. Like it looks weird and different and, yeah, but it's, but okay. So it was across the street from this house party I was at and they are in like a strip mall. Interesting. Did you know this? Like no. it was shocking to me. It, it's in like a little kind of strip. Like there was a pet store next door. <laughs> like, Interesting. It just yeah, but I feel like I that was like a thing for a period of time in LA. There was like a lot of cool, there was a place called like Golden Goat. Not, was it Golden Gophers? There was a bunch of like really cool bars for a while where the trend was that they were in strip malls. So maybe they're just trying to bring that back. Yeah, so it's trendy. Maybe. I don't know. I'm too we'll old see. now. I don't go to the bars <laughs> anymore. So I, I don't even know what's cool. I don't either. I find that like truly this past weekend, there was a mom that was like, hey, you want to grab a drink? And I was like, ooh, I'm just about to make some pasta by hand and <laughs> and I, watch TV. And she was like, it's Saturday night at six o'clock. You don't like my children weren't with me. They were with their dad. She was like, you know, she's like, you're not you're not going to make pasta alone <laughs> at 6 p.m. on a Saturday. You're going to get in a car and come and have a drink with me and then go to bed like a grown up. And I was like, fine, fine. Yeah. At least you have kids. I feel like that's a good excuse because <laughs> I don't have kids. And I'm like, oh, I'm watching John and Kate plus eight tonight. Like, I can't make it. <laughs> but but you have to watch their kids. That's why. <laughs> yeah, 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 technically I'm watching their kids. You're right. But yeah, it's hard to 
to, I need to get kids at least so I can have some sort of reasonable excuse because I just don't like to do things. They, they do come in handy for that. They do. Um, well, I'm just going to keep chatting to you for a million years. So I'm going to let you oh, go. I love you. Thank you. Oh, love you. Thank you so much for hanging. And just a reminder, Danny Pellegrino's book, How Do I Unremember This? Unfortunately, True Stories. It is available everywhere now. You can also listen to it on audiobook, which I read his book. And I also listened to a few chapters on audiobook because, again, I am his number one fan. I have to support him on all platforms um, and, and absorb all of his storytelling in all the ways. And I, I, and I truly do always love getting to hear someone uh, tell their, their story themselves, which is why I often like to buy the audiobook while also purchasing a paperback book. I just need all the things. It's the same reason why I also have like cable and then every single streaming opportunity. I, ju- I just need it all. I need to know that I can just get it from all the different ways. Um, so I hope that you got it from all the different ways from listening to this episode today. <laughs> Take care of yourself. There will be an all new episode of a Super Bloom podcast waiting for you next week. This has been a Super Bloom podcast hosted by me, Candace King, produced by Melissa D. Montz and Diamond Imprint Productions and advertisement partnerships with ACAST.